Hi there, and welcome to Scale. I'm your host, Stuart Ritchie, the founder and lead developer at Powered by Coffee, a web and software development company working with media brands using open source to solve problems. Scale is a podcast about media and about content-heavy businesses and how technology impacts them and how they are impacted by technology. Today, we're really excited to have Justin Duke, the founder of Button Down, a really excellent, easy to use, super simplified email service, along to kind of talk to us about advertising within email newsletters, a topic we've mentioned a few times in previous episodes. So Justin, thank you very much for, for joining us today. I'd love to start with, with your own background because it's, it's pretty remarkable from my perspective. There's some great places on there. So tell us about yourself. Tell us how you got where you are to the point of starting, starting Button Down. Of course. And thank you for having me, Stuart. I took what in retrospect was, I think, a bit of a circuitous path to sort of the, the tech industry. I was an English lit major in college and quickly realized, as did many of my classmates, that being an English lit major was not exactly a short circuit track to career success. And I had a couple of random internships in like advertising and copywriting, realized sure. that wasn't for me and wanted to start working in computer science. My mom is actually a CS professor oh, wow. and she, she cajoled me into taking a couple classes of like, Hey, you, you liked HTML growing up, like mess around with this, see if this is something yeah. that's interesting to you. And I sort of fell in love with it and did a really, really hard pivot from sort of social sciences and, and writing and humanities work into, into programming and, and software development. I spent my first few years out of college working first at Amazon, specifically on the Kindle team, which felt like a great marriage of working on th thinking about books and thinking about writing and reading, and then also thinking about how technology can sort of augment that process and improve that process. And then moved from Amazon to Stripe, the, the payments company, where I got to work on how to think about like payments and data and analytics at scale, which was really, really fun. But during my, my time at Stripe, I sort of was working on a newsletter of my own, just kind of like a, a personal newsletter where I was sharing like things that I was thinking about, updates every week or so, and couldn't really find quite the right platform that I wanted to use. Like everything was really, really bulky and meant for like folks sending out like emails to 75,000 folks and like trying to drive e-commerce conversions as opposed to like a more personal, a more humane tool. Um, and that's how I started Button Down. I had the worst possible thing that I can I can say to myself, which is, oh, I can build a better version of this tool that I want in a weekend. And of course, instead of yeah, a weekend, sure. it took six years and counting, but we're, we're getting Actually. there. And it's been really, really fun to be able to shift my life's work to a tool that I get to use. Yeah, that's every developer I find at some point goes, is using something and goes, I can build something better than this. <laughs> and it is almost invariably a project management tool or a CRM of some description. Yeah. It's very unusual to me that you have turned around into, I'm going to build my own email service provider and email editor. <laughs> that is out of left field. Although I suppose there have been a few kind of more independent and kind of lighter weight email editors and email provider tools. Something like Tiny Letter jumps to mind immediately. It's kind of a very early, early player in this space. But yeah, it's... It's just a really interesting space to me. And my own parallel, I did physiology at university, so nothing nice. to do with yeah. computer science or software development. And I think that is incredibly common. People 
<laughs> doing one thing and going, that's not for me. I'll, I'll try something else. But great for your, your mom to be able to sort of encourage you and push you into it. But button down, tell us more about it. That's been really kind of a top level explanation. I'm going to assume almost everyone listening to this podcast has some experience with, with an email provider, something like MailChimp, for example, or some of the stuff baked into some of the bigger marketing platforms. The button down's kind of job, like you say, is really to sim- simplify that and kind of make that easier and more streamlined and more, more about that author, writer, producer to reader relationship. Kind of what if you, what does the product do to kind of foster more of that? Of course. And you mentioned Tiny Letter, which fun fact, the code name for Button Down before I really launched it was Tiny Better, because that's the tool I was using that I was getting very <laughs> frustrated with. Of The feature sure. set of Tiny Letter to me was perfect of you have emails, you have subscribers, you have like form tags. That's, that's kind of the end of the feature list. And that was perfect, except mm-hmm. I just ran into so many random bugs and issues of like it would swallow my emails it would double send like it was all this stuff that like the the most like really minimal tools are not necessarily the ones that do the least but the ones that you have to think about or worry about the least and even though tiny litter didn't do that much like i was satisfied with the feature set like i would get frustrated because i would just run into random issues and when i started building button down like i very much wanted to have tiny letters ethos as a North star of there are so many great, powerful tools out there. MailChimp, ConvertKit, Ghost, Drip, like all of these really powerful tools are, they're not bad so much as they're not well suited for the use case I had in mind or that other folks had in mind. And really what I wanted to do was be a little bit more opinionated about what I thought a product could be and should be. Like one of the more, I think, divisive product decisions I made early on with Button Down, and you see it plastered across like the the main page and a bunch of the the feature pages and marketing pages is like, I just want to write in Markdown. I've written in Markdown for like 15 years and counting. And like the most annoying part of my publishing process, often if I'm using a CMS or if I'm using a different tool to share updates is like, all right, what is this conversion process of getting from my raw thoughts to like the right block formatting or something along those lines? And there's like a a number of like small things along those lines that when you're in a industry as large and competitive, competitive and featureful as email marketing, there's actually a lot of room for you to kind of stake a claim and say like, here's the product that I'm going to build that might not be right for everyone and might not take over the world, but there's a lot of people who will really, really resonate with the choices that you make or that I make. And for button down, really, that that came down to minimalism in terms of feature set, being aggressively technically inclined. So a lot of the folks who use button down might not know what markdown is or like need to make api requests but they don't run fleeing in the opposite direction when they see things along those lines like they're json json conversant is is how i would phrase it of having some level of technical expertise they don't need a complete lack of technical detail which again is i think useful in the sense of button down self signals who it's good for and who maybe it isn't the right fit for yeah yeah that's awesome. So kind of very much that I kind of think of them almost as like the home automation crowd 
the folk who yes. are very yeah. able to set up stuff, like if they've got an iPhone or are built into the Mac system, like they're more than comfortable making a shortcut of their own, or they're more than comfortable going into a tool like Zapier and working with that, where they're not necessarily full on developers, but they know enough to get what they want done in a way that works exactly. for them, that they can maintain over time. Awesome. And how has that kind of gone as a, as a product? I mean, I can see it on the site. There's some like real glowing testimonials from like names that I recognize from the technology blogger, technology blogging scene of five to 10 years ago. And has there been much of a change kind of as we see social media become less and less influential, particularly platforms like Twitter that are maybe not pushing people more towards owning their audience in, inside of email? Yeah, the biggest change from my perception over the last, say, three to four years is, and I think you hit the nail on the head, like everyone is realizing that the idea of like owning your audience or owning an email list is not like this, this niche thing that you might want to do if you're like, say, a journalist that's hopping from publication to publication, or you're a consultant trying to have an audience to sell, but like with the increasingly fractal nature of a lot of these social networks. And I don't know about you, but I feel like over the last three years, my the folks who I chat with went from basically just Twitter and maybe like a Slack or two to like Twitter and Mastodon and Blue Sky and Discord and Slack and WhatsApp. And like, it's it's increasingly difficult to like have one single repository of like, I want to share what I'm up to with folks. And I think email is is perfectly tailor-made for that. And the fact that the median folk trying to do that is no longer, as you say, like a tech blogger, but is just like anyone who wants to have a long-term relationship with their audience means that the a lot of the things that were kind of first and foremost in my mind when I was building Button Down, say, in the early days of 2018, 2019, which was like, how does this integrate really well with like static sites? How does this integrate with, with Zapier or with if this and that? Those things are still important, but there's also a huge groundswell of folks who are just trying to do like the base case of, hey, I don't know if like half of my Twitter audience is going to go away tomorrow. I need to be able yeah. to contact them so I can share with them the new pieces that I've written or share with them like new consulting opportunities I've had. The The shift really has been, and this is true, I think, both of Button Down and the email and newsletter space writ large, it's going from less of a sort of like technical edge case to it's just like good practice to have almost like a backup of your audience and being able to drive everyone to a single place because if you're the type of person who your relationship with readers or friends or family or other folks is very important to you, you can no longer really trust these large behemoth tech companies to be responsible stewards of that relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Every now and again, I'm struck at how crazy it is that email exists, that it's just this open, massive network of standards that people can just send messages to each other and certainly open for abuse but that it it works like that's crazy to me in a world where everything is currently a walled garden and you have to fight to get your your data back out of it that this thing just kind of works still and i there's been a hundred email killing apps over the years i mean that was slack's big thing 
over at the stars, like never, never have another work email. And like, you will never kill email. It is too, too just barely useful. Like it just barely works enough that it kind of will never, ever go away. It's the same as to get very nerdy, the DNS system. I'm like, how on earth does this exist? And was not yeah. ruined by, uh, anyway, <laughs> that's, that's out of the, beyond where we're going here. So one of the, uh, kind of with not the downfall of Twitter, but kind of how we're changing and seeing like the media landscape change and more and more kind of independent producers kind of coming along, email being so important, well, not even just for media companies, but like and producers and writers, but for everyone, but I kind of see three, three or four major reasons why email exists. Like you have a brand and you were trying to keep people in touch. You are a store and you kind of want to tell people something is there to buy your business selling consulting of some description or you're in the media and you have some form of your content that you are sending out that you're monetizing and within email, because it can be very expensive to produce and do well. Maintaining large email lists is not without zero cost and rightly so. It's actually very hard to do well. I'm informed that the actual servers and stuff like that, there's a lot of like spam. You have to do a lot of work to kind of maintain those rates plus all the time of development to kind of like build out that product. But in turn, that makes email expensive to do and kind of has to pay for itself over time. So some of the things we've seen are the rise of Substacks, where people are doing paid memberships for their emails. And obviously like there's many ways of doing that within WordPress, both on wordpress.org and wordpress.com and services like Patreon, Memberful, et cetera, that kind of allow you to do that. And that's well tried and well trodden. And that's like fairly easy to do because you just have two lists of like, here's the free list, here's the paid list. But the one that I think is more interesting and hopefully you can kind of give us some guidance on is people who are directly monetizing their emails with built-in built-in advertising into what they're what they're delivering. And this is fascinating to me because I kind of come as an old man on the internet of like emails bad, like the deliverability and the way things render in different email clients, there is no guarantee that anything will ever happen. All the ad networks and all the ad sellers want to know, did this user get this? They want that. What's the word I'm looking for? They want those assurances on the data. They want the tracking. They want all the things that every email provider has been bad at. And now, particularly with tracking, many are moving to actively prevent. So how, how does this work? Give us the kind of breakdown of what, what options are here and how to do this. Yeah, and I, I think at a high level, one of the things that I find sort of refreshing and interesting about sponsorships and advertising in the email and newsletter space is that because of how janky a lot of email sending and a lot of client adherence is, you actually, I think, obviate a lot of the problems that personally I find pretty gross and odious about the general advertising landscape of like, I think there's very little that's worse than having the army of tracking pixels follow you from every single top 100 on Alexa site that there is. Like, that's just not really, I'm, I'm kind of like the, the old bearded nerd myself. Like, that's not my vision for what like a, a glorious web is. And I think really what newsletter advertising reminds me of in many respects is the the world of podcast advertising. I think there's a lot of lessons that you can take from podcasts maturation over the sure. past, say, 10 to 15 years and how it applies to, to newsletter advertising. 
because there is more room for kind of experimentation as a publisher. If you're trying to monetize, you can mess around with different SKUs. You can see, okay, do we want to charge per click to your point where tracking might not be really crystal clear. And often if you're an advertiser, like you need to have some level of assurance either from the, the platform or doing some click resolution on your own, on your own site, because so much of the actual sort of like the conventional click redirecting of I'm going to click on a link on an email. It goes to some specific random tracking domain for a split second to register that click. And then it redirects you on as both clients in the software sense and readers get more and more sophisticated, the fidelity of those tracking methods just decrease over time. So a lot of advertisers shift to more of an affiliate-based model or sort of a conversion-based model, similar to what you might see in more the more conventional advertising space of, we're not going to pay you per click, we'll pay you per conversion. And I think that actually leads to a really, really nice aligning of incentives between sponsor and publisher of, okay, we're not going to really weigh down this high quality email with just like random spam, because that's not, that's not going to actually convert. We need to find high quality advertisers who have content that is going to resonate with our readership base or else like it doesn't work out for either person. It's similar to like, I think everyone, it's almost become a meme at this point, right? Like the idea of listening to a podcast and like, check out with code, blah, 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 20 of having a slightly more frictionful way of actually tracking the conversion and tracking the performance. But the fidelity of that friction is worth its weight because then you can have a really high sense of confidence on both sides of the table that the advertising works out. And of course, there are, other models that you see of like, I think there is a catchier name than this, but I think of it as just like the takeover method, which is, hey, we're going to sponsor the entire content of a newsletter of if you're, say, like a local media outlet, or yep. maybe you're you're a reviewer of like, all right, this entire thing is sponsored by this specific business or this specific brand, like we'll tailor the copy and the creative. It's less a specific CTA, more of an awareness branding thing. Like, I, I think that just lends credence the idea that there's a number of ways to diversify your your monetization and the value you bring through advertising that isn't necessarily true of just a more conventional paid subscriptions type of skew. Awesome. And I imagine all the same rules apply to in in email advertising that do to more general advertising on on the internet. If it's an integrated piece into the content, it kind of has to be clearly demarked as mm-hmm. this is an advert or this is sponsor content, this is referral content, etc. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's and I, I think if anything, the th- this isn't true of all clients at this point, but you know, Gmail is sort of most famous for having like the auto categorization of this goes into yeah. promotions, this goes into updates. I've seen a lot of newsletters that I've worked with like have the and it's kind of interesting because it's frustrating from the newsletter st- sender standpoint, but it's great from all other parties of like, yeah. you're sending out a regular email that lands directly in client's inbox in the primary tab. And then if you have a sponsored takeover email, that's going to end up in promotions. And like that might be a little frustrating, but I think if you take a step back, that's what the reader wants. Like that is the correct thing to do. And the fact that 
email infrastructure for all its warts has a lot of stuff set up that you don't have to discover from first principles, like highlighting specific things as promotions makes it a much more useful path. Absolutely. I just think it's interesting as well. As we record this, it's just been WWDC. And kind of one of the things announced for user privacy kind of reasons is that Apple is going to start actively removing and stripping tracking parameters from URLs that are sent through iMessage and emails that are opened with Apple Mail, both on the Mac and I believe on iOS. And I think finally, on any link you click, if you are within a private browsing mode. So I just wonder then if this is a world that is going to get more and more, going to have to kind of mature rapidly to move beyond to just having an affiliate code as part of the URL, as part of like a query bar. It's going to end up being like defined landing pages for these campaigns that maybe are something that was going to get missed. Or like you say, just communicating it in like you would on podcasts or on a YouTube video or so, like use code X, Y, and Z to, to check out. Are there, is this a very manual process for publishers or are there kind of tools and things that, that automate this? I mean, to bring it back to your podcast analogy, there was a while where any podcast sponsorship was very much sold by the hosts of that podcast. And then that broadened out and people were able to set up agencies selling on their behalf that they would provide them the ads, the scripts, whatever, and they would write it in. Then we ended up in this kind of weird world of programmatic ad insertion within podcasts. Of mm-hmm. you give us the you give us the MP3 and the markers, the points, and we will insert the ads, and they will be these lengths. So that when any URLs that are passed around, they're all going to be be the same. Are there is there a developing world of tools like this for for newsletter and email advertising, or is it still really really early? It's definitely similar to where podcasts were. I'd say. Maybe, mm-hmm. let's say five years ago, where you have that entire mm-hmm. landscape that you mentioned all being represented, like a huge amount of newsletter ads, especially for for what I would call like the, the long tail of newsletters, right? Like say 3,000 to 50,000 subscribers, they can sell SKUs, they're, they're making relatively good money as, as a side project, but it, it's usually one or maybe one to three folks running it. It's, it is not the mandate of a, a larger team. Most of those folks will be handling the sales, handling the creative insertion, all of those things themselves, maybe using a two-sided marketplace like Paved or PostApex to just connect with potential sponsors. But then the all of the administrivia around it, they still kind of have to handle themselves. Really, really large operations that have a pretty sophisticated setup will have a lot of automations. Nothing to the level of dynamic ad insertion. Though there's been a couple of platforms that are experimenting with how do we do that such that we can send out one email to 300,000 people and actually have five different pieces of creative running alongside that of like five different ad units each to 60,000 folks. There is that bit of a, it's not an arms race, but like the technological buildup of like trying to figure out how to get more and more sophisticated that's being counterbalanced by everything you just discussed of like, as a reader, I'm thrilled that Apple's investing more and more in, in all of the tracking technologies and sort of like tracking stripping and all of those things. <laughs> and I think there's, there's very little architecture going into how do we circumvent that, which is great. It's more around how do we make it less laborious for a publisher and an advertiser to connect and then actually get that advertising into the world. 
it's still definitely a couple of years behind where podcasts are. But I think even now, right, like in 2023, there are a lot of very big agencies sort of specializing in this. There's a lot of dynamic ad insertion, but you'll still have like long tail podcasters who are like on the phone with folks trying to book relatively small sponsorships. And I think a lot of the right technology for the job has to get meshed onto how large is the opportunity involved? How large is the actual newsletter or media piece? Yeah, absolutely. Do you worry at all about Google's presence in this space as both a provider of a a very large, very well-used email platform and a huge amount of advertising? Worry isn't quite the right word I would use. Like more more intrigued. I I feel like if... It, I, I would happily trade with Google their their encroachment into the space if it meant they would actually update the CSS that we could use in Gmail. As someone, sure. I'm sure you've dealt with this <laughs> at some point as well. The the days yeah. of table tags sadly are not behind us in, in 2023. I think the the Google AMP email experiment and things of that nature, where Google really tries to push the idea of what email is forward, not necessarily in a decentralized way, but in a Gmail or bust way. That to me is what what keeps me up at night more separate from the monetization piece. I think, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, right? Like it's hard to imagine that something as gloriously weird and decentralized and resilient as email would have been invented whole cloth today in 2023. And I think there's, a world in which that can get eroded a bit. And I'm less concerned about that from a sponsored content or an advertising perspective and more a walled garden one, right? Like that's the thing that would really scare me as opposed to Google approaching purely on the advertising side of things. Yeah, absolutely. And so that email, that's the dynamic emails that you were able to produce within Google Mail. So just if I saw a really good example of a few weeks back and it's completely just dropped out of my head. But for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's when you could like send things like a Google Sheets link to someone. And if they were using it in Google and they had the correct access permissions, they would get a preview of that sheet, for example, within the email and not have to load sheets. And so there's like a small subset of blessed components from Google Mail that you could use to kind of have these richer email experiences. That's this, So that's kind of like where I'm coming from as well. It's like, are they going to leverage this for advertising and maybe maybe we'll see so more more generally if someone is out there and they've kind of got relatively small audience so there may be like an email list of a few few thousand kind of wherever i don't want to say where this becomes viable because that's a really the viability is going to depend on not necessarily size of the audience but how engaged the audience is and how on topic that email is you get a really small audience if they are very engaged you could have some great advertiser relationships but what's how does someone get started with this how do they go about their first sponsored email have maybe that's too too basic a question but you know i think it's good no i i think it's great i think that's usually what's on the top of folks minds and it's it's the question i get the most which is just like how do i get from from here to there of hey i have an audience of two thousand folks who you know it's not a super large audience but like I think they're all really well engaged in a solid niche. Like, what is my first step? And I think the, mm-hmm. th- this is very, very boring advice, but it's extremely actionable. 
which is just to like hang your shingle out, so to speak, and like have a tiny little, like do a tiny little bit of outbound sales, say like at the bottom of your newsletter, hey, if you're interested in sponsoring this newsletter, please contact me. And every time I give that piece of advice, people are like, no one's going to do that. Like, I I don't think I'm going to get any interest. I'll try it. And then they all come back after they do it. And they're like, I just heard back from like seven folks. And like, I'm going to set up some calls. You have to do like, like we were talking about earlier, you have to do a bit of manual work to start. Like if you don't feel super comfortable with that, that, that's fine. And we can discuss alternatives in a second. But I think the best thing to do in terms of really validating that sponsorship is a path for you is start to hear from your readership and the the folks who are already listening and engaged with your content and seeing because often, especially for the more lucrative newspaper newsletters, rather, those are people who have ideas and have a good sense of what their niche is and probably can bring some adjacencies. To give an example of, I chatted with a tech review newsletter a couple weeks ago that does Mac device, Apple device reviews, that kind of thing. And they sent out an email of this nature where it was just like regular, regular edition. And then at the bottom, if you're interested in sponsoring this, like, please drop a line and let me know. And they heard back from a couple of their readers who kind of do stuff in like the, the, the third party device ecosystem of like cases and things of that nature, where it's, it's really hard to imagine, I think from first principles, what the long tail smaller sponsors look like. Because again, you're not going to get a very, very large brand name sponsorship on your first go, especially if you're smaller, you're generally going to work on the more independent, more low key side of things. Once you have those kinds of leads in, then the general question I get is like, what should I charge for this? And that's all kind of a function of what level of engagement you have, what comfort level do you have with trying to just validate getting sponsorship versus maximizing your profits in your first few editions. I generally recommend as if you have some level of click tracking provenance set up, just starting with like a very, very modest, like round number, like dollar per click and saying, Hey, this is roughly where we're at. Like our emails get this percentage percentage click through like that, that comes to say 300 clicks per thing. Like we're going to charge a $300 sticker rate and just see from there. The point isn't that specific number so much as I think a lot of first time publishers spend so much time thinking about the numbers and the strategy. They don't just like execute. They don't just try a number and see what happens. The most important thing is just doing the loop once and seeing what worked, what didn't and tweaking from there. Yeah. And then if you don't, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was, I was just going to sort of reinforce your run because I imagine reaching out from within the newsletter itself. If you are subscribed to a relatively niche newsletter, you are probably fairly passionate about that subject. And when you have enough people, there are going to be people that have businesses and have products within that space that know they like the newsletter that they are reading, appreciate the content and go, I bet there are people like me reading the same thing. These are, this is my audience. These are the people I want in front of my product. Those are likely to be by far the easiest to reach out to and as and in many cases i imagine those are that's advertising supporting the content because it is at least related exactly like i think the the worst type of advertising and this this is true in email and outside of email is something where it's so dissonant so jarring compared to what the content actually is of like all right i'm reading about 
tech news for 600 words. And then there's like an advertisement for like soccer balls or something. A tortured metaphor, but you get the point. Like the best and highest performing advertisements are the ones that have a really, really close symmetry and marriage with the content they're about. And so you want to attract those advertisers and those advertisers are going to have a really, really strong Venn diagram overlap with your existing readership. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted. Please continue on with your... No, no worries at all. I, I was just going to say like the... There are a lot of folks who don't feel comfortable taking that first step into doing yeah. like slightly outbound sales to, to get their first few sponsors. The The other side of this too is if you go to two-sided marketplaces like Paved or Post Apex, you can eliminate some of that a little bit. A, a lot of more mature advertisers will have what they call like pre-canned or, or native creative, which is sort of, here's a link, here's a sentence of copy, here's your affiliate code. We don't need to do any sort of back and forth. We'll just pay you out based on the affiliate side. And so you don't really have to do a huge amount of pulling, but the performance of that is generally going to be, in, in my experience and the authors I work with experience, like that's just going to be worse. That's sort of like a, not empty calories, but like not quite the farm to table meal, if that makes sense. Like it's a good way to validate like, hey, is this something I'm interested in doing? And is this a useful way for me to monetize? But it's not going to be quite as lucrative or quite as good for your readers, frankly, as getting a, a true creative on board that you sort of do the closing yourself and there, there is some back and forth on the actual content of the ad, on the surrounding content, that sort of thing. Again, just going back to our earlier points, like yeah. the best possible advertisement is something that is really, really germane and interesting to your readers. And it's just harder to do that when it's like a pre-canned affiliate link and message that you can drop in, but so can a thousand other newsletters. Like the best possible advertisement in, in many ways is the one that only really works for your newsletter. And I know that's easier said than done, but I think that's why yeah. a lot of the art in this, especially for smaller or newer authors, comes in your ability to tailor the copy to your specific voice and working with the advertiser on that. Yeah, I think I think that's really one of the key points is working with the advertiser to create the piece that works for the audience rather than the off-the-shelf creative that can just kind of be dropped in and linked up, whether that's a specific piece of content you're linking back to you on the primary site or specific landing pages or things that are tailored in with whatever the broader kind of editorial calendar for that, that publication kind of is. That really seems to be what would make the difference in this being a good experience for everyone. Exactly. And like to go with that, I think getting that right then means that that published, that advertiser is going to stick with you and it becomes very easy for them to be like, yeah, just run the same thing again. It's not about finding new public new advertisers for every and sponsors for every issue that goes out it's building good solid relationships with a few and having you be one of their best channels so that you can kind of up that rate over time as as you can demonstrate value yeah and it's funny how much of this conversation all kind of boils down to owning and being invested in that relationship because you're exactly right like the one of the, the trickier parts of like just kind of being one of many newsletters in an anonymous two-sided marketplace is you seem very, very fungible and like you don't actually get to build that long-term relationship. There's a newsletter who's yeah. been on Button Down for the better part of four years. She started advertising when she had around like 
three, 4,000 subscribers. And some of the, the companies she partnered with then are still advertising on her newsletter four years later. She's increased the size wow. of her readership by like a thousand percent. It's, it's grown 10x, but those early relationships are still paying dividends. And again, like the more upfront work you do, the easier sort of keeping all of your slots booked and not having to kind of scramble at the last minute to, to find inventory and all of those things is really, really useful. And I also think like, maybe this is a bit schmaltzy, like that's the kind of like business that I think I personally enjoy running and participating in of like, it's sort of like the, all right, who are the folks I know that, that work at the companies that I'm interested in, that I feel comfortable vouching for, that I have relationships with. And let's reach yeah. a mutually agreeable understanding about cross promotion, as opposed to like, well, I've got this little ad inventory that fills 40 words, going to toss this into the void and see what the algorithm throws back at me. I, I think the former is just like nicer and more pleasant. And the fact that it also ends up being more efficient and more lucrative is just the cherry on top. Absolutely. Yeah, it all sounds great. And then I suppose from the, the technical side, I mean, coming from more of a web background, kind of with modern advertising, it's a lot of ad tags. So if you don't know, it's a whole load of like, external work that you get dumped onto a page and you say like, oh, in this particular area of the page, put this ad in this particular area of the page, put that ad. That's not going to work in email delivery. So how, how does that technical integration happen? How do they actually get the ad into the email? Depends on the level of sophistication for the platform and for, for the publisher on, on both sides. I know a lot of authors who have a very like manual janky process where it's like the you have the styled block that says TK, TK, TK. And then right mm -hmm. once they are about to send it, they're, they're like, all right, time to do the copy and paste, like get both sides to approve and like just do it completely manually. Yep. If you're using a platform like button down or something that's a little bit more sophisticated, there's tooling set up so that like you can dedicate a specific like template tag in, in sort of more developer -y terms that if there's an advertising unit sold for that given issue, that given week, it'll get plopped in. Otherwise, it'll just be hidden. It's sort of, it is in a literal okay. sense, dynamic ad insertion, but with, with much less technical sophistication, because that's one of the few things that HTML does really well is like, all right, yeah. we have this beautiful, elegant block model that we can plop in or ignore entirely. And then uh, on the email side, it's of course similar because you're just dealing with Jakey HTML, but HTML at the end of the day. So you can have this ability yeah. to drop stuff in dynamically or remove it if that inventory hasn't been sold. And you don't have to worry awesome. about any of the crazy script tags because that all gets stripped by pretty yeah. much every client at this point. Yeah, it's gonna, that's going to be gone. It's not going to let you deliver that. But crucially, I think that's the, one of the important things here is that actually this is a very simple thing for almost anyone who has the sophistication to be running a newsletter to actually do, depending on the creative you come up with with that sponsor it could be an image tag that is going in that you're wrapping in in a, a link tag at a very certain point of delay or another paragraph tag with with some text in it it doesn't have to be complicated there's there's not a good technical reason i mean for someone to to not do this it's at the most basic level very easy to get get going with this it sounds like exactly and it's it's one of the things that like you can get more sophisticated over time if you want to and need to, but there's not a very high bar of like, all right, I want to, I want to include sponsored content in my first email. Time to dedicate an entire weekend to figure out how to do that. 
your first few issues when you're still sort of validating the thesis, so to speak, like you can copy and paste. You, you don't have to worry yeah. too much about automation or anything like that. It's just, let's find the right advertiser. Let's agree on the copy and on the creative, whether it's an image or a paragraph, as you said, and then let's just plop it in. And then all of the fancy stuff can come later in time. Amazing. So I mean, just to kind of like recap this whole, whole thing that I suppose like great, great revenue opportunity for you and publishers, media groups, particularly smaller ones who are just getting started with this kind of thing. If you've got a really engaged audience and you're in a good lucrative niche, reach out to some of your readers, some of the people you cover potentially even as well and be like, Hey, we're going to start sponsoring these. Would you be interested? And if you're not comfortable with that, then there are platforms out there, but definitely better to, to go for the existing audience and the kind of surrounding groups. Very simple to do technically if you're just getting started. And the real key here is just, just getting started. Is that, that about cover up kind of how to get going with these? Absolutely. I, I think the, the point that I would end on is just not just when it comes to, to sponsorships, but like monetization writ large. I think mm-hmm. folks should feel like 30% more comfortable with experimenting than they currently do. Sometimes yeah. paid subscriptions are great. Sometimes sponsorships are great. Sometimes upselling to like some like tangible artifact or skew of like I've, I've chatted with a lot of authors who their thing for more evergreen content is like they'll publish ebooks every couple of months that's just like here's the top 10 things that i wrote in the newsletter if you liked it and you yeah. want to support my work like pay 9.99 for this or whatever but writing a newsletter and maintaining like an editorial calendar is serious work and it's valuable and if you have a readership that likes it enough to stay engaged and keep reading what you do over time they'll want to support you in some way it might not necessarily be like the substack model if they want to pay five dollars a month Maybe even advertising isn't right, but I encourage all authors and all publishers who haven't thought about monetization at all to just like mm-hmm. kick the tires on sponsorship, kick the tires on a number of di- different tactics. Because I think folks tend to underestimate like the, there isn't this huge gulf between running a free newsletter as a hobby and like making a couple thousand dollars a month selling ads or selling ebooks or something of that nature. It's, it takes time, but it's not a lot of friction and not a lot of effort to just get started and seeing what that path might look like. Absolutely. And I suppose also it's worth pointing out that nothing we have said here is actually email specific. Like what we have said here, because you're looking to go to your audience, find similar things within that space, put it in the medium you are already using and see what works and experiment a little bit. Applies as equally to an email newsletter as it does a podcast, as it does a video series on YouTube, Vimeo, wherever you're putting it, even starting to monetize your own core website, if that's not something you've done, these principles are kind of global and work for those very engaged, good niche kind of, kind of products and places. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Cool. I'm glad. Well, Justin, thank you so much for your time today. We've got on a while. If folk want to find out more about you, more about Button Dine, where can they go? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at JM Duke. Or you can just visit Button Down, which is buttondown.email. Buttondown.email. Pretty hard domain to search for. I was looking for it earlier and I kept getting ads for shirts. There's, but yeah, yeah. No, that's cool. I, I was just going to say, I, there I, are 
aren't a lot of regrets I have of like the early days of building button down. I feel like I should have chosen a more SEO friendly name. It's like me competing against J crew and like Poshmark to try and get like the top three slot in button down always rough goings, but beyond that can't complain. Yeah. I, I understand your feel. powered by coffee is like a weird name. It's like, doesn't fit into like anything about what we do. It's just a random kind of string of words on the surface. But also with my particular accent, people don't hear it well. They're like, what did you say? <laughs> so I understand the like, maybe should have should have thought that further. But awesome. <laughs> Thank you again so much for your time. So if anybody wants to, to connect on Justin, we'll put those links in show notes. Show notes are on powerbycoffee.co.uk forward slash scale. And that'll link you to the most recent episode. If you've enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on um, iTunes, on Android Play or Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Share us on social media, find the tweets and LinkedIn posts and like them and retweet them. It really, really helps us grow and get in front of new people. And to take Justin's advice, if you want to sponsor this podcast or even be on it, if you think you've got a good story for the media crowd, we would love to have you on. So thank you very much for listening and we will speak to you in two weeks. Thanks for having me. You're, yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Scale is available in all usual podcast places. Even better, if you could leave us a review, that really helps us. If you're interested in finding out more about me or Powered by Coffee, you can find us on social media. And again, in all the usual places, links are in the show notes. Scale is currently going to come out every two weeks and we will see you then.